I recently introduced my boys, Luke and Nathan, to the Three Stooges. Now, Luke is 11, Nathan's getting ready to turn seven, and of course, they love the slapstick humor, the physical humor, some of the puns they can understand. And so it's not uncommon to hear a, a sweetly or a, oh, a wise guy, eh, running around our house nowadays. And so you probably want to pray for my wife, Laura, as uh, she now has her own three stooges in Luke, Nathan, and me. And so her patience is wearing a little bit thin, but uh, we're having a good time. It's fun as a dad to see all that kind of stuff going on and takes me back to my childhood. And inevitably, when you're watching the Three Stooges, um, some one of them, Larry or Curly or even Chimp, uh, runs into Mo or hits him or drops a vase on his head accidentally. He's really upset and angry, and they apologize and say, Mo, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And he says, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And they let their guard down saying, shoo, because Mo can be a hothead. And as soon as he said that and disarmed them, then he smacks them in the face or punches them in the nose or pokes them in the eyes. And what we find out pretty soon from watching the Three Stooges is that Mo has some real issues with forgiveness. In fact, uh, it's not in his nature to be very forgiving. And so as we come in here today, I'm, I'm just guessing as uh, we're f finishing up this series on circles of influence, as we think about the circles of influence that we're in our families, our friends, the people that we work with, the people that we live around in our neighborhood, the, the people that we go to school with, in our circles of influence, could it be that Mo is not the only person that struggles with forgiveness? Could it be that you and I ourselves would want to do something like Mo, and when someone does something to harm us, that we'd love to smack them in the face or pinch their nose or poke them in the eyes, that in our own lives, maybe we struggle somewhat with forgiveness ourselves. I read a Gallup poll that said 94% uh, of Americans think that it's important to offer and practice forgiveness, but that in actuality, only 48% of us in America actually try to forgive people in our lives. Uh, and so in your life, in your heart, when you came in today, did you bring someone with you? Is there, is there something in your heart, maybe some resentment, maybe some bitterness, maybe carrying a grudge, some anger of, of someone that has done something wrong to you and you just can't let it go? Then maybe you're in the right place today. I had a friend from college who reached out to me recently. I hadn't really spoken to him in over 20 years since we graduated together. And he now lives out in Nevada and he had heard that I'd become a pastor and he wanted to talk to me because he's struggling with something in his life. And his wife has uh, cheated on him. Uh, she's now divorced him and they have a little girl. She's two years old and he's really struggling with his anger. And he wants to know what it's like. He started going to the church for the first time in his life and he's wrestling with what it looks like to forgive his ex-wife who has harmed him in, in such a major way. And so it's not always just enemies that, that bother us. Sometimes the hardest ones to forgive are those who are closest to us. William Blake said this, uh, it's easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. So again, brothers and sisters, when you walked in today, did you bring someone with you in your heart with resentment, with bitterness, towards them that you're just not able to let go. Who might you need to forgive in your life? Today, I want us to wrestle with that as we think about our circles of influence of who we're influenced by and who we influence ourselves. And I, I want to start in the best place, and that, that's in Scripture. And we're going to be in the New Testament today uh, in two Gospels. A Gospel simply means the good news of Jesus. 
the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, what that means for us in our lives. The first four books in the New Testament, we're going to look at two of them, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. These were written by eyewitnesses from the first century that were with Jesus in the early church. And and the first one we look at today is Matthew's Gospel. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And, And to kind of set the scene, Jesus has just taught his disciples how to pray. He's taught them what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And maybe you've heard that or read that or, or said that yourself. And part of the Lord's Prayer, the way that we say it is, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's saying to God, God, forgive me of the wrong things that I do, even as I forgive those people in my life of the wrong things that they do to me. So Jesus has gone through that whole prayer. And this is the, the very next thing that he says is what we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, do wrong against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So God lays out something pretty hard and heavy for us that he's ready to forgive us of our wrongdoing if we're ready to to repent, to turn away from that, to to ask God for forgiveness and, and seek to do life differently. God's ready to forgive us, but only if we are able to forgive people in our lives who have wronged us. And that's not a suggestion that that's a pretty much a command that says that's the way that it works with God. And so God, right out from the bat with Jesus, talks about how important forgiveness is. Then later in the gospel, we see that another one of the 12 disciples comes up to Jesus. This time it's Peter, who's kind of the de facto leader of the 12 disciples. And he asked Jesus about forgiveness. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, what I read into the scripture here is that as Peter is trying to look good in front of Jesus, he's probably getting ready to pat himself on the back. He's probably saying to the other disciples, hey, watch this, right? And Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Not just once, right? I, probably two or three, five. How about I forgive people seven times? And he's probably waiting for the accolades for Jesus to say, that's why I made you the leader of the disciples. Well done, Peter. Yes, you should forgive people seven times. That's so gracious and generous of you. But that's not how Jesus replies. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Other translations say seven times 70 times, which would be 490 times. Jesus is alluding to a passage of Scripture back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. We don't have time to go into that today, but but long story short, Jesus says, you got to forgive people a lot of times, right? It's not just once, it's not just twice, it's not seven times, it's not just seven times, 70, 490 times. Jesus is telling us that forgiveness is going to be an ongoing part of our life. And if you're like me and you read that, then I kind of like wince back and say, I'm not sure that I'm capable of doing that. Getting back to the Three Stooges illustration, I mean, would that be like if Mo came up and smacked me in the face and said, oh, I'm sorry, Kyle, I'm like, it's okay, I forgive you, and he smacked me again, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I forgive you. Would I stand there for 490 times? Probably not. Is that what Jesus is asking us to do? I don't think so. So when we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about these passages of Scripture. What is forgiveness from a biblical perspective? Let me start out by talking about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not letting other people treat us badly. Forgiveness is not being a doormat for someone. Forgiveness is not condoning other people doing bad things to us. 
Forgiveness is not refusing to seek justice. It's absolutely the opposite. We, we should stand up for what's right. We should say, you know what? This is a bad situation I'm in. I need to remove myself from that situation. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we forget what other people do to hurt us because we need to have a memory and we don't want to put ourselves in a difficult circumstance again. For Forgiveness is not that we're going to have a warm, fuzzy feeling for the person that we forgive. Forgiveness is not that we even need to spend time with them anymore, right? So those are some of the things that forgiveness is not. So we don't need to be a doormat. Uh, we, don't, we don't even need to trust the person again. So if that's what forgiveness is not, what then is forgiveness? Well, one, we saw it. Forgiveness is a command of God. If we want to receive forgiveness ourselves, then we have to be ready to forgive others. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not forced upon us. It's something that we're going to consciously have to, to come to ourselves. So we have to choose to be forgiving. Forgiveness is unconditional. And by that, I mean sometimes we're going to have to forgive when we don't feel like forgiving. We're going to have to forgive people who don't deserve being forgiven. We're going to have to forgive people who don't want our forgiveness. We're going to have to forgive people who don't ask for our forgiveness. It's unconditional, no strings attached. And forgiveness is a process. And usually it's a long process. Sometimes it can be instantaneous, but sometimes, oftentimes, it's a long process. And it involves us dealing with our resentment and our bitterness and our anger and getting rid of it in, in some form or fashion. Whether that's talking to someone in our circle of influence through praying to God to give us supernatural help with doing this. Maybe it's seeing a counselor to help us do this. Maybe it's, you know, pounding a pillow or something to get the, the resentment out. Maybe it's getting out our feelings if we can't vocalize them to someone to write a letter, you know, to the person that offended us and tell them everything that we think of them and what happens and how we're feeling and, and not give it to them. But then to burn the letter, to bury the letter, to say, I am done with this and I'm ready to move forward. And again, I think part of this process is that we can't do it on our own. We're going to have to have someone walk with us, our, our circles of influence, and we're going to have to ask God for that supernatural help. God, I am not able to forgive this person unless you come and help me. I need you, God. This has to be my faith in you. You have to come in, Lord, and supernaturally allow me to let go of this. And part of forgiveness is praying for the person that has done wrong to us. And that's one of those challenging passages of the Scripture where Jesus says that we should pray for our enemies and those who harm us. And, and I think for me, when I pray for, for, for enemies and people who have wronged me, you know, part of my prayer is, God, help me to see them not as just the enemy or the person, the uncaring person who's done this to me, but help me to see them as another broken human being like me, that they must have some pain in their life that they haven't dealt with, and they've passed it on to me. It's not right, Lord. Help me to see them as that broken human being, and Lord, I ask that you work in their life. In fact, get busy working in their life because they sure need you, God. And so, right, that's some of the prayer that we can literally say to God. We, we, we need God to do this. Well, how do we know that we've truly forgiven someone? Right? We might have prayed it. We might have said it. We might think it. I think the test is that we truly have let go of the anger. 
We've let go of the resentment. We've let go of the bitterness. We don't obsess about it. We can see the person. We might not have a warm, fuzzy feeling for them again, but we don't want to strangle them. We have moved on with our life, and that is a gift from God. And I think forgiveness is ongoing. And that second passage that we read from Matthew's gospel, I think that's what Jesus is alluding to. Is like, as long as we're human beings and we're imperfect and we're dealing with imperfect people in our lives, there's always going to be the need for forgiveness. And if we think about our relationship with God, that's how it is. I mean, how many of us have only in our whole lives ever needed to be forgiven for, by God one time, right? I'd love to talk to you afterwards and see how you do that, right? In my life, I'm constantly asking God to forgive me. As old as I am, he's probably forgiven me tens of thousands of times. And so how can we expect to say, well, I'm only going to forgive somebody one time, but God, you got to forgive me tens of thousands of times, right? God says, if I show you mercy, I expect you to show people in your life mercy. And so forgiveness, as hard as it is, is an ongoing thing. But here's what I think the real deal is with forgiveness. I think that forgiveness, God asks us to forgive other people because it's a gift to us. I think God asks us to forgive other people because ultimately it's a gift to us because all of that anger and that bitterness and that resentment and those grudges we carry around, all the minutes and the hours and the days and the months and sometimes even the years that we spend obsessing and, and, and holding on to all of that, that is not living life to the full which is what Jesus said he came to give us is life to the full. And life to the full is not carrying a grudge. It's not being buried by anger. It's not being buried by resentment and bitterness, right? And so forgiveness for us is allowing us to let go of that. And a lot of forgiveness is allowing us to let go of a past that we feel trapped in. You know, a lot of times we're upset about something that happened to us in the past. We wish it would have been different. We wish we could go back and change it. We wish the person hadn't done that to us. And so we imprison ourselves in the past rather than enjoying the present, which God has given us to live to the full. And we prevent the future that God has from us, this beautiful, amazing future, right? God has plans to prosper us and give us a future, right? We, we totally shut that off because we allow ourselves to be imprisoned in the past. I love this quote by a guy named jo- Jonas Byler who says, forgiveness is letting go of hope for a different past. Right? We've got to let go. Right? It, what happened, happened. We can't change it. We can't b- go back as much as we want to change that. It, it's not. Right? And so we've got to let go of that. How many of us who are here today are imprisoned in the past? And we keep reliving it and reliving it and letting the resentment and the anger and the bitterness just keep us trapped. And how many of us are ready? How many of us are ready to let go of that and to step into the moment right now where God says, I want to give you life to the full? Brothers and sisters, who do you need to forgive in your life? Who are you carrying around with you? Who are you letting have power over your lives over something that happened a long time ago? And they probably haven't even given you a second thought since then. Who do you need to forgive? And is forgiveness possible? Right? It sounds good, but, but can it happen? And you know, absolutely it can. 
We see amazing examples, real-life examples all throughout the Bible. We've been recently looking at the story in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, a long time ago about these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob stole some things from Esau. Esau got so mad that he wanted to kill his brother, and so Jacob fled, and he had to live in exile for 20 years. Right? His mom died while he was in exile. He got married and had kids, and they could never see their grandparents or their uncle. And so just this terrible family dynamic. But at the end of Genesis, we see, thankfully, that Jacob and Esau, after all that's been between them, come together and they forgive one another. Now, the way that I read scriptures is, is they're not best buddies moving forward, but they've buried the hatchet. They've forgiven each other. They were able to be there around their father. And, and then to, when he dies, to come together and to bury him and, and to show that the next generations that all this family dysfunction can be forgiven and overcome. And so if you think your family's messed up, right, you, there's hope for all of us in this. Another dysfunctional story in the book of Genesis we've looked at is, is a group of brothers. Joseph has all these brothers and they hate Joseph, literally hate him. They're so jealous of him. They want to kill him. They beat him up. Some of them are ready to kill him. They throw him in a pit. They decide to sell him into slavery. This is like thousands of years ago. So they human traffic their brother. He is a human slave. Later, he gets thrown into prison for something he doesn't do. Long story short, he ends up becoming somebody important, a very important person in the world back then. And he brings his brothers in front of him. They don't know who he is. They just know he's this powerful person who has power over life and death. And then he reveals himself to them. And immediately, they fear for their lives. But he begins to weep. And he says, I forgive you. And I love you. And the family's reconciled. That gives us hope in our life. That gives us hope in our relationships. Jesus himself shows us what forgiveness is like. He left heaven to come to the earth to become a human being, to stay human and also be God, to live and teach and try to lead us back to God. And how was he rewarded? He was betrayed and he was abandoned and he was tortured and he was falsely arrested and falsely executed against these false charges. And as he's literally nailed to a tree that looks like a cross, dying, suffocating to death, He says this to God from Luke's gospel. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Our Lord and Savior shows us exactly what forgiveness is all about. But what about real people today in the 21st century? Is it possible? Can we do it? What does it look like? And I got to tell you, it's difficult. It's hard in my own life. And one day I came home from work and I got in late and it was supper time and Laura and the boys were, were in the kitchen having dinner and they couldn't wait to tell me what had happened. We live in a cul-de-sac and all these kids come down and play. Sometimes other parents are down there and play. And, and they said that this one mom who'd been out there just lit into my son Luke, just was screaming and saying all these things and just it was very inappropriate and he was upset and Nathan was upset and Laura was upset and... Uh, It didn't help that this woman is not really our favorite neighbor to begin with. And so uh, she's kind of got a reputation of she's a know-it-all and and she's the super parent who likes to tell other parents how to parent their kids. And, you know, so we have a lot of resentment. She's a very annoying voice. She sounds like, na-na-na-na-na-na-na, and just really hard to deal with. You know, I'm so mature as a person. And uh, and so, you know, automatically we, all that baggage comes in. And, you know, who appointed her Mary Poppins of our neighborhood? I don't know. But uh, so, you know, Laura and I are trying to be calm and just, you know, we're Christians. I'm a pastor. We got to deal with this. And so we didn't we didn't reach out to her that night. We wanted to take some time to think and pray about it, you know, and, and look forward to an opportunity to see her in person so we could speak to her. 
hopefully in a non-anxious way, in a calm way, and, and ask her questions. You know, what happened? This is what we understand because our sons are not perfect, and sometimes they do things they shouldn't do. And so doing all that, trying to do the right thing, right? But, but inside, I'm just like stewing. And I, you know, I, I didn't like her anyway. She's annoying. She's trying to tell us how to be parents. And so, you know, I'm just like, I can't wait to tell her this and this and this and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I came up with some nicknames for her. And uh, you guys can probably guess what some of them are. And, you know, not my highest moment as a pastor, but man, this is my kid. And so, you know, just trying to say, all right, God, let us be calm. I don't want to seem threatening. I want to be a Christian about this. And so it was a couple of days later, and, and I ran into her out in the neighborhood, and I just, you know, said, hey, this happened. Could you tell me what, you know, your, your perspective of this is? And she told me, and then I told her what my perspective of, of it was. And long story short, we didn't see eye to eye, so we had to agree to disagree. Thanks be to God, we were calm and, and just kind of walked away from that in a calm manner. Uh, but then I went right back to stewing. Like, you know, I wish I'd have said this, and I wish I'd have said that, and I can't believe she does this, and just, you know, you know how it goes, and just going on and on and on, and just, you know, one day I just, I stopped myself, and I said, what are you doing? Not, you haven't just spent hours doing this. You've spent days dealing with this, and, and then I became irritable, so I'm snapping at my own family, and so, you know, it's just it's just a terrible situation. And, and, and I'm like, why am I giving this woman power over my life? I guarantee she hasn't thought two seconds about me since we had these discussions. She's only doing whatever she does. And, and why am I trapping myself in the past? Why am I becoming irritable? Why am I giving her this control over my life? And I realized I hadn't really prayed about it. I hadn't gone to God. I hadn't tried to think about, you know, why is she acting like this? What brokenness in her life has led her to, to do this behavior by alienating most of her neighbors in the neighborhood? And so I began to pray and really just, you know, ultimately, finally, finally, God was able to help me just to name that and to release that. And she's still not my favorite person. We don't spend a lot of time with her, but, you know, I'm over it, okay? <laughs> but I'm like, Wow. I spent so much of my time in life wasted over that, right? Forgiveness is really a gift to us. And so when you think about, well, so what does this mean? So what's the point? What's the big idea? So what, how does this affect my life? And, and I read a quote, and it's our so what moment of today. It's to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner is you. Oftentimes we think when we forgive someone, we're setting them free. And that's true in, in, in a way. But to forgive is to, is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner is you, right? It's me. Like we're the prisoner. We're the ones who are carrying the grudge. We're the ones who are dealing with the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, all that, while they're going on with their life, living their life to the full, while we're stuck in our misery. That's not life to the full. So forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is a gift to us. So who is it in your life that you brought in with you today? Like I brought in that woman in my life so many ways, right? Who is it that you need to start the process of forgiving, right? That, that would be my challenge to you is to go home and begin that process that I talked about earlier today. Who is it that you need to let go? And, and what, if, what if we actually did this, right? So 48% of Americans try to forgive. What if, what if in our church we got that up to 50% or up to 60% or up to 70%? How much happier could you and I be? 
How much more joy could we experience? How much more fun would it be to be in our circles of influence? What could that look like, right? What if, what if someone else in Charlotte caught on to that? What if, what if God worked a miracle and Congress caught on to that and the president and all the stuff going on in our nation right now, right? What if we really could begin to try to understand people and to be forgiving? What could our lives look like? I'm guessing you know that same resentment and bitterness and just aggravation that just keeps you up at night that, that, I, that I went through. And, and that's just a small issue in my life. There's been lots of bigger issues that I needed to forgive people for, and that is extremely hard. But, man, when you're able to do that, it just really frees us up in our life. Are you ready to set yourself free? Are you ready to do that? You know, this whole series has been about our circles of influence, who we influence, who we're influenced by. And I want to kind of shift the conversation now from, from the forgiveness part of it to the, the bigger picture of, of what we've been doing. And, you know, we've looked at some, some big issues. We've looked at shame. We've looked at anger. We've looked at forgiveness. And we've looked at miracle, right? And maybe miracle is, you know, letting go of some of this other junk that we've been talking about that's been weighing us down and preventing us from living life to the full. And wouldn't it be a miracle if we could really let some of that stuff go? Well, I want to introduce you today to one of our church members who has been through some terrible things in her life. And she's faced some shame. She's faced some anger. She's, she's had to wrestle with forgiveness in, in all sorts of ways. And I want you to see her story because I think it encapsulates what we've been trying to talk about in this series. So check out these wise words from a woman in our church named Tambry. As I was growing up, I would find myself in a place of really wanting to strive, feeling a need to achieve, but then also not wanting to stand out, not wanting to garner any attention because somehow being seen didn't feel safe. I needed to make straight A's. I needed to excel in whatever I was taking on, but at the same time, when you get the paper back, you don't want anybody to see that grade because you don't want them to know how well you're doing because you don't want to stand out. It was really a, a trying to prove myself, trying to have a sense of worthiness. So one of the, the great things that my company would do is they would often put us through training. And so I was actually in a workshop one day and they had someone come forward and they asked them for a volunteer. So she came forward and they did this, this exercise around energy. And the negative energy, when, when it was sent to her, which in and of itself felt bad to me, but when it was sent to her, she had her arm out and it just fell to her side. And when that happened, I immediately had a panic attack. I was completely unsettled. I was completely anxious. I did not know what was going on. I'd never experienced something like that before. It let me know that there was something I really needed to explore and I needed to kind of figure out what was going on. And so I actually went to my associate pastor, which was Nancy Miller Campbell, who suggested someone for me to go talk to. And it took years for us to process what I had repressed for decades. And that was the fact that I was a child victim of sexual abuse. Because of the, the secrecy and silence that surrounds childhood sexual abuse, you, you make up stories about relationships and dynamics. And so as you start to, to peel back these layers, you realize what 
really is true. It was important for me to have a support group as I was learning this, as these, these truths and this awareness was being revealed to me. And they loved me even when I didn't feel lovable. As I was meeting with these ladies, I learned to be more vulnerable. I learned to be more authentic and share to a greater degree and allowed me to really understand my relationship with God. It's also provided me increased meaning and purpose in my life. And as I've shared and as I've been vulnerable, my relationships all around me have, have deepened and it actually encourages others to be more vulnerable with me and share with me to a greater degree. So the richness and the depth is just indescribable. We've all been through something and it's what you do with that that matters. And for me, it's that openness to be vulnerable, to learn, to grow, and surround yourself with people who love you and can, can support you. And really open yourself up to, to God and allow Him to help you feel that love and that support and that undergirding because it's really amazing what's possible when you do. So if my story touches your heart, if you find yourself in any part of my story, my hope for you would be that you recognize that although life might be fine, it might be good, you might have the appearance of having it all together, there is so much more out there for you. And I really would hope that you could claim that life-giving story, that, that hope-filled life that is truly intended for you. Tambry, thank you for your courage in telling that story. Let's share our appreciation with her. You are incredibly bold, and we really appreciate your presence here today, not just on the video testimony, but in person. Uh, and so I just, I'd like to ask you, we've been talking about forgiveness this morning. Terrible things happened to you. At some point, you had to forgive the person that did this. Can you help us understand what that looked like for you? It, it took a while. Mm -hmm. It took a while. Um, it took a while to get my head around everything that did happen and how it could happen. Um, but ultimately, where I arrived was that this person, too, was wounded and hurt. Um, and so I had to, that, that allowed me to move toward that, that forgiveness because I could, I could get, I could begin to realize that, that woundedness in him. And the sad part is that he too was a victim of sexual abuse. So instead of working through it himself, instead of, you know, doing that, the healing that was required, he passed it on and he hurt others. And so, um, you know, I knew how critical it was for me to do the, the healing so that I could help others around me, um, help myself, and then hopefully help others around me. Yeah, I mean, you took two incredibly different paths. Yes. And so yes. you mentioned in the, in the video about your circles of influence, about Pastor Nancy, about your small group, and how they helped you begin this healing process. Can you speak more about that? Of course, yes. Um, you know, and it was interesting. I, I talked about the fact that the awakening, the awareness happened in a work setting. 
And uh, fortunately, I actually had people in my circle there that were resources to me just when I was first kind of moving through that. And then I knew that I needed to have someone work with me that could help me not just mentally figure out, you know, work through what was going on, but it, it hits you emotionally, it, it hits you physically, spiritually. And so that's why I went to Nancy, because I wanted someone to help me get connected to a person that could help me holistically address it. And so that was so important. And and then to have a group of spiritual friends to sit with me as I processed and as I worked through the, the awareness. And what was um, one of the things we do in our small group is we open by saying, I'm a beloved child of God like you. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to be able to believe that. Mm-hmm. And although they wanted to tell me and they wanted me to know it because they saw it in me, it took me a long time to truly believe that because of the shame and the pain and all that I had been through. But that small group helped me know that about myself and helped me own that in time. And shame that you didn't need to feel because you did nothing wrong, but it still hits us anyway, right? Yes, exactly. And then to have that group that doesn't give up on you, to yes. have a God who doesn't give up on you. And so your, your circles of influence from God to a pastor to a small group for friends is just incredible. We've got a couple of pictures of we them. We do, is that right? we do. So this, um, my awareness started in 2005. And so we have a picture of my group at that time. And What's so beautiful is we still meet. We're still meeting together in 2019, and those women are still supporting. We support each other through all kinds of, all kinds of um, difficult struggles and, and healing and growth. Well, I'm glad that you found that group as part of our congregation and yes. that, that continues to be an important part of your life. And you also now, even as you've been influenced by circles here, you're trying to create new circles of influence for other victims of sexual abuse. Is that correct? And can you talk us to us a little bit about what you're trying to do to help others. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that I've become aware of is the, again, the darkness that that shrouds um, the victims in the secrecy and the silence and the shame. And so, you know, as light has been put on me and my healing has happened, I've begun to, you mentioned um, earlier about being a prisoner, and I really was. I was a prisoner in myself, and I had this veneer that kept me from engaging. And so as I worked through that that veneer, I began to just sense this, this level of freedom that I had never known before. And I also would, um, I began to just have a sense of peace. And that was one of the things I would pray for so much was peace. And so I was having the sense of peace. And just this week, I was reflecting on the joy. And I think, you know, at times, I mean, I had happiness in my life, but this true joy. And so my hope is that I can really help others look at themselves, look at their lives, heal, and really begin to feel that sense of freedom. And and so I'm doing that through some retreats and through some one-on-one, and I'm speaking places. And so my hope is to just really give... Um, encouragement for people to begin that healing. That's awesome that you're not just keeping the healing to yourself that you want to give that back to others and 
And so if you would like to connect with Tammy, she'll be available after the, the service. And also, if you're watching online or listening to our podcast, you just want to contact the church, we can get you in touch with her. And she can share information about her workshop and some of the healing that's happening all around our city. Uh, it's just a great opportunity for someone who's walked through it and has come out on the other side and is doing very well because of God and other people in her life who've allowed her uh, to see just how special she is. Uh, Tammy, we appreciate your story. And as I think about it, uh, again, we've, we've dealt with anger. We've dealt with shame. Uh, we've talked about forgiveness and we've talked about miracles. I think you're a miracle. I think this is a miracle sitting right here in front of you. Uh, a miracle is, is God's action in the world. And we can see that God spoke to Tammy directly, spoke to her through people, uh, and helped her battle through some of these, these things that we all struggle with with pain, with anger, with shame, uh, struggling with forgiving someone who did something so heinous uh, in her life. And so she is nothing short of a miracle. And as we think about this series that we've been in, and we, we kind of pull it all together, you know, so what? So what does the series mean? So what does it look like in my life? What does it mean for me in my circles of influence? I, I think it boils down to this. If we don't transform our pain, we will transfer our pain. If we don't transform the things that happen to us, the, the, the anger, the frustration, the, the abuse, the slights, whatever pain we feel, the rejections, the, the, the sadness, if, if we don't transform that pain, then we will transfer it to other people in our life. We'll take it out on our family. We'll take it out on our children. We'll take it out on our friends. We'll take it out on ourselves. We'll take it out on the people we work with. We'll take it out on our, our classmates. And, and a lot of times we won't even know what's coming out of us, but it's un transform pain. And I don't think that we transform that pain ourselves. I think it's going to take God acting in our life. It's going to take our circles of influence, our friends, our small groups, our family, that God sends people into our lives to transform that pain. And so brothers and sisters, if, if you are struggling with some kind of pain, anger, resentment, disappointment, whatever it is, before you pass that on, knowingly or even unconsciously, I would invite you to think about this, to stop and pray and say, God, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need you in my life. I'm going to need a circle of friends. I'm going to, I'm going to need some, some, some body to walk this walk with me. Because when we do transform that pain, we don't pass it on. And we truly encounter life to the full. So again, you're looking at, an everyday person like you and me, a part of our congregation right here and right now, real world stuff, has been through hell and back. And the reason she's done that is because God and her circles of influence have helped her transform her pain. If God can do that for Tambry, if Tambry can be a miracle, then God can do that for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we say today, amen. amen. Let's pray together.